Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu. And what we're doing this time round is we're going to take yet another return trip to Warhammer. The reason why I do this, if you're wondering why does he keep going on about it, is I like playing Warhammer. It was a part of my life in my teenage years. Then it all went quiet for 25 years. Then I had kids. They got into it. I got drawn back into it. It's a really fun game. And it's so rich with lots of different lore and stories and armies and settings that it's clearly riffing off all kinds of things from our past. For example, we did one on the difference between left-wing and right-wing history. Yeah, that was a thing. We did another one on lost technology. Yaha, we did a whole one on evil and chaos. So we're actually making a return to that this time round. Another one referencing crusades and inquisitions. It goes on and on. Lots of fun. Feel free to check those out. If, however, you're listening to this because you're a Warhammer fan thinking, is this a Warhammer channel? No, it isn't. I do them regularly. Let's say everything between six to eight weeks time. In between, I might do something like Scooby-Doo or a pop song or a movie that you might have seen. It's just a bit of fun. It's a chance to say, look, there is this piece of pop culture and whether you like it or not, whether it's conscious or subconscious, it is drawing from things that have happened in the past. And it's very easy to get an analogy in there of some past historic events. So this time round... As I said, we're sort of going back to chaos and things like that. I, I will be briefly referring to the four chaos gods, which I'm going to go back to that and say I have a real problem with how they've ended up being written and how they sort of like fit in. But principally, we're going into the realm of demons. I have exercised the demons. <laughs> which leads us to the huge controversy, which I covered in my Dungeons & Dragons episode. So it's all come down to this. A dungeon and dragons. I didn't see it coming. About this sort of demonology type thing linked to role-playing games, causing a huge fuss. Very big deal in the 1980s. And what I find fascinating is today... Nowadays, nobody bats an eyelid. They're a bigger fish to fry. It might be political. It might be the internet. It's the new thing that everybody's scared of. So I'm going to be talking about demons, which means, of course, I'm going to be talking about 
in theory, the ultimate evil that is Satan. I'm the devil. And this will bring us into the area of religions from the Middle East. Not necessarily all the ones you're thinking of. And yes, Christianity, of course, was created in the Middle East. And how the concepts of these spirits, these creations of omnipotent, powerful deities out there, which we might today call demons, how their idea actually evolved over time. Angels and demons this time round. So yes, there we go. That's what we're going into this time round. But let's let's go to the world of Warhammer. Now, any hobby is as expensive as you want it to be. When people start complaining about the cost of Warhammer, on the one hand, they're right. On the other hand, they're wrong. Let's take, for example, an unrelated hobby, pastime. So the thing is, though, you need money to put a roof over your head, to put some food in your stomach, and to clothe yourself and get to your job that will get you more money. You know, those are the, if you like, the essentials in life. Everything else is up for debate. Now, if, if you're a bit of a foodie and you want to spend a lot of money on delicious meals all the time, eating out in top restaurants. Good, good for you. That's what you want to do. But that is not the cheapest way to eat. Even if you are just using something like Deliveroo or Just Eat, other apps for food are available. Then again, they put a surcharge on it and it's fast food that you're buying, which again, it's not the cheapest way to actually just fill your stomach. So we're always making these choices when it comes to how we spend our money, our inverted commas, disposable income. I sell boats. Wish you could have one. Yeah, but I'll never own a boat. It's just a dream, like doing a sit-up. So if you take, for example, something like fishing, you can get a basic fishing rod with some tackle and a couple of hooks, and you're probably talking about 150 pounds, and that'll keep you going for quite some time. But is that what professional fishermen or fisherladies use? No, absolutely not. I have seen fishing rods that go for a thousand pounds or more. It's the same thing with golf. You know, there are cheap clubs. There are super expensive brands like Ping, for example. There are in every single pastime, there's the entry level one. And then there's the one that if you really want to sink the money in, this is what you do. It's the same thing to a certain extent in Warhammer. Warhammer is part of Games Workshop and Games Workshop owns a number of different brands. So Actually, the figures you're buying aren't technically Warhammer figures, although they are for the Warhammer game. They're made by Citadel Miniatures. But Citadel Miniatures has a sister company called Forgeworld. Most of Citadel Miniatures are plastic. Very easy to glue together. Very easy to chop off bits and convert them and things like that. When I first started, it was all white metal, which meant that just chopping off an arm and replacing it with something else was a real hassle because you'd have to pin it and super glue it and probably put in some milliput for a filler. That's why I didn't do much of it then and why I absolutely adore doing it now. However, Forge World uses resin, which is very different to plastic. You have to use super glue. You have to scrub it before you even try and prime it with a spray can to sort of put a base color onto it because it's covered in a certain chemical that allowed it to get out of the mold, which also sheds paint. It's a huge hassle. And also, Forge World miniatures are substantially more expensive. More money, more money, more money. If you want to get a starter set in either Age of Sigmar or Warhammer 40,000, you can get like a 
a squad of one side and a squad of another side and maybe a couple of heroes in there with a little bit of cardboard scenery. You know, just something to get you going. And you could probably get that for about £25. Then, you know, when you sort of get into it more so and it's like, I want my army to have like a tank, that's probably going to be £60 just for 60 to £80 for that, just for that one vehicle with the big gun on it. Or maybe in the Age of Sigmar version, maybe a, a dragon or something like that, although that's pushing more like £90. But the most expensive figure, miniature, I'm even using the term miniature loosely, that you can get is a Warlord Titan from Forge World. This thing is over a foot high, the size of a small toddler. It's made out of resin. It is incredibly difficult to put together. It is basically a giant robot, which you can imagine if it's something a foot and a half in size, towering over your little soldiers that are 28 millimeters so i mean they're basically three centimeters tall it looks really impressive and big and there are lots of different versions and you can you know you get a certificate if you buy one of these things which will give you the specific number of that one all huge deal thing is it costs about 1300 pounds and prices vary around the world so yeah there we go it's now an expensive fishing rod it's now a number of expensive golf clubs just for this one super machine on the battlefield. Why am I mentioning all this stuff? Jeremy, you're going to talk about demons. Yes, get on with it! Here we go. Because technically, the cheapest way you can play Age of Sigmar, Warhammer 40,000, and also Warhammer 40,000's other version, which is called Horus Heresy, is you can buy a box of demons because the Chaos Gods exist in both games. And I've noticed with the Horus Heresy logos being taken off the demons because they've started sort of begin to retcon that so and if you did talk to them you'd have to retcon them bloodthirsters are bloodthirsters in age of sigma and warhammer 40,000 but when there's lesser demons of corn in the horus heresy maybe they're bloodthirsters not quite formed yet but they haven't got any other models at the moment so yeah basically you could put them on the table in any one of those three games that's the same figures and you've just saved yourself having to build paint and pay for three different armies the demons have got a lot of love in the world of Warhammer. Strange though that sentence may be. So again, to just run through this very quickly, and to go back to the original Realms of Chaos books that came out around about 1990, there were two of them, and they came out a few years after the original 1987 was when Warhammer 40,000 was created. And we'd known about these different types of Chaos Gods for a while, but now we get a deeper dive. So you've got Corn which is not spelled C-O-R-N, but K-H-O-R-N-E. Corn is also known as the blood god. He blood for the blood god. So it's all about violence and anger and things like that. Then there's Zinch. Not going to bother spelling that for you, but that's the god of change and scheming. The followers of Zinch are heavy in magic and they are constantly trying to do each other over. And I'm not entirely sure that one's chaotic because this first thing is about how it's change their greater demon is referred to as a lord of change whereas corn is their greater demon is a bloodthirster so it just doesn't feel very chaotic to me i guess it's chaotic in terms of organization and scheming but change in and of itself is not chaos then you've got slanesh which is this is the one i mentioned before i have a real problem with how they sort of like retconned it because it is now referred to as the god of excess 
But it's like, well, corn is excessive bloodshed. So you get some people going, well, that's why Slanesh is the, the most important one, because excessive scheming, excessive changing. So Slanesh is just the best because they're, they're excessive everything. It's like, no, it's just poorly written because each one of these I get. OK, one of them sort of like super magic, Zinch. One of them super violence. That'll be corn. The one I haven't mentioned, Nurgle, the god of disease and decay and rot. That makes sense. That sort of sounds fairly chaotic. Everything's sort of being putrefied. That's a wonderful, disgusting idea. But each one's got their area. In reality, Slanesh was the god of decadence and all the things associated with that. But you can see very quickly, it's like, well, that I would feel very uncomfortable selling that to 12 year old children. So if you like the naughty side of decadence has been calmed down. Now they talk about things like excessive eating and partying and things like that. It's all a bit vague, which is ridiculous because you've got things like literally space marines who aren't even chaotic skinning people alive, but you've also got followers of corn doing exactly the same thing. So yeah, so torture and mutilation, that's fine to sell to 12 year olds, but naughty times, that's absolutely not acceptable. Mommies and daddies like to hug each other that way. In fact, sweetie, that's sort of how you were created. But you can see how that would get you in big trouble with the media and so on and so forth. So really, yes, actually. And the idea about a general being corrupted by a pretty young thing that catches their attention, they're fed up of battlings, they're just going to like lie in a palace and eat grapes all day. That's happened in history. That kind of works for Slanesh. It should just be that rather than trying to pretend it's just everything to excess. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. So you get the idea. So these are sort of four gods, four main gods. There's some other sort of spin-off gods. There's the Horned Rat, which is for Skaven in Age of Sigma. There's Malal, which has been kicking around since the 80s and very much in the background. They will fight anything. I quite like the idea of Malal because it's truly chaotic. They'll just fight anything. Whereas in the original Realms of Chaos, the ones that were kind of opposite each other. So Zinch hated Nurgle because Nurgle wanted things to stay the same, but just rot, whereas Zinch would want to keep reinventing it. So those two are at odds with each other. Slanesh is about decadence, and also their armies tended to fight from a distance with magic, which is very much the difference to Corn, which wanted to be up close, personal, with a big axe. So nowadays, they're not quite as much animosity there. And, and, you know, you could literally have an army with all of these gods, but I quite liked it in the early days where just some of these just would not fight side by side. The other thing is that I've sort of like, again, looking in the lore, particularly in Warhammer 40,000, there was originally these the warp way was just calm and then it got slowly churned up into a sort of like a maelstrom which ended up leading to the birth of Slanesh. So Slanesh is both the youngest and the oldest of the gods because chaos makes no sense. I get that, that's kind of clever, but I also think it's slightly bad writing as well. But part of this is it's all churned up with, well, originally Eldar, space elves, they would die, go into the warp world, and then come back again reincarnated. But then as things started churning up, they are now sort of preserved in these soul gems, and, and now they're put into robots and things like that, and sort of like they power those things. <laughs> Why is it all churning up then? Apparently it's humans. It's human souls that are doing it. Well, I'm going to say if gods are that limited, that one of the multiple races in the solar system, in the galaxy, I should say, in Warhammer are only, they're, not, they're gods of humans then, they're not really gods gods, you know, why can't they be sucking out the souls of orcs who absolutely are on the side of corn, you know, they want a good fight all the time, so yeah, I, again, look, I, I respect that this is where they've ended up in terms of the lore, 
Jem, you think you can do a better job, you do it yourself. I, I, I hear you, I hear you, but I don't know. When you compare it to stuff like Tolkien and some of these other things, it just isn't as well worked out, in my opinion. But again, you've got these demons that you can... I hate playing armies with demons, particularly in open play, because what you, what you do is you carefully work out the value of the armies. You shouldn't have an army that's twice the value of the other army because it's not going to be very fun to play against except if they are a damn chaos army because they are allowed to summon these these things and you know particularly with slanesh the more damage they take so sort of like oh it's, it's sort of like so crazy we're into such excessive pain yeah let's do that so you know the more you damage them the more likely they're going to conjure up a greater demon of slanesh which will cause huge problems for your army <laughs> I think you can tell I have a problem with this, but you also get these fabulous ideas like Bellacor, this prince of chaos. He has an amazing new model, newish model, which I had to paint, had to buy and paint. It looks like everything you'd expect with a demon, huge bat wings, holding a huge flaming sword, massive horns, huge chaos symbol on its chest. You don't need to know anything about the world of Warhammer. Just do a Google image search for Bellacor and go, yeah, that looks really evil and really powerful and dangerous and I better get out of its way. You've got sort of some named things like Scarbrand, for example, is a named Greater Demon of Corn. Greater Demons actually have names and they can appear both in Age of Sigma and in Warhammer 40,000. This is why it's led to a conversation saying, well, surely these two worlds are connecting. It's like, no, they're not. The only thing that connects them is the the warp and chaos is just out there. It's like, yeah, again, or maybe just bad writing or just say what it is, you know, just say Age of Sigmar is happening maybe in the, the Eye of Terror or is, you know, is just its own little corner of the galaxy or whatever you want it to be. It's it's fine. You know, look, it's it's a game. It's not actually legally restrictive laws in your city or, or country. So yeah, chill out, do it, play it the way you want to. But the thing with the demons is they're sort of like this integral IP that appears across all the sort of elements, even some of the lesser games or sort of more niche games like Blood Bowl, for example, will have some of these demons popping up in it. And that definitely is happening in a different universe. So when you think Warhammer, demons aren't far behind that. Indeed, there is a you know a number of different things in Warhammer 40,000 which are specifically designed to kill demons. I have an army of Grey Knights. I love the idea that these are psychic space marines who's basically specially trained to fight demon incursions and rip them down. I remember the first time I actually played them, the other guy actually brought a chaos army and had demons. So I instantly charged my guys into there thinking, I'm going to go through them like a hot knife through butter. I've read up on this stuff. This is what they should do. Turns out actually on the battlefield, they're not quite as anti-demon, you know, just the insta-killing insta demons. It's much more complicated than that, and I lost. But hey-ho, I had fun. But yeah, there we go. Sometimes there is differences between the stories and what's actually happening on the battlefield, too. I digress, but let, let me do just a little bit more about the wonderful world of demons in Warhammer, which will lead us into our views of demons in the real world. But just before I do that, I'm always going to remind you, please, please spread the word. I tweet out at Gem Deducu episodes that we've either done in the past or the latest one that comes out on a Tuesday. Feel free to retweet those, share them, give me some ideas, communicate with me there. Please give us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. And if you can click to subscribe, also useful too. We need to grow these numbers. It'd be great for more people to join the Merry Band. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Demons come in lots of shapes and sizes. I mentioned Bellacor, very much a sort of standard demon. There's also, again, going back to the corn, like the bloodthirsters. They are, you know, they're these massive bat-like wings, just like huge, furious-type demons. Then you've got sort of like weird androgynous figures for like Slanesh, sometimes with a massive crab hand. And they're kind of everywhere, regularly in, in the artwork, and they, you know, they do a glorious job with them. Also, they're a lot of fun to paint. But as I've mentioned briefly, there was this sort of outrage, this sort of like summoning of stuff. As you can see, I'm just talking about how I'm fighting a battle. I need some reinforcements. I happen to be a chaos person and I paid for a wizard or whatever. So ping in, I can put some more models. There is no malice to that. Nobody's summoning anything from a dark god or anything. It's just, it's just a game basically. And it's the same thing in Dungeons and Dragons. As I said, you can literally summon demons. And because Gary Gygax wasn't necessarily sensitive to hysterias that would happen in 10 years time, they tended to use names of real named demons or spirit things in the past or in history or in religions and put them into the actual Dungeons and Dragons monster manual, which has led to people sort of going, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a way to get into the occult and the dark arts. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? No, it isn't. And what's fascinating is, and I mentioned this in the D&D episode that I put out, is fast forwarding 35, 40 years. What's interesting is that the kids who were into this stuff are now the parents today. I'm one of them. And you know, literally, I know that there's a vicar out there who 
plays Dungeons and Dragons with some of some of his friends. And it's like, great, good, good for you. But I also know other people who are religious people who want to stay away from any kind of game or indeed any kind of literature that mentions magic because you're pulling on forces that, you know, aren't godly, basically. You're, you're trying to do a shortcut. You're basically communing with the devil. And literally, I know one, one person who refuses to read and indeed would never let their children read Harry Potter. I can read Harry Potter because they're worshipping false gods. Now, the whole point about Harry Potter is Harry's trying to overcome evil here. You know, it is good versus evil. And the wizards and definitely and witches are definitely being shown as the good guys here. But I find it interesting how this is still sensitive and there there are absolutely historical reasons for this. So the first kind of concept of good versus evil, what's interesting is when you're in the polytheistic religions, be it Hinduism or ancient Greece or ancient Egypt, then there's so much going on. There isn't kind of like a definitive good guy and bad guy situation. There are perhaps deities that you should be more scared of, are more destructive than others, but Almost all of them have a kind of yin and yang to them. You know, Kali, which is a classic one from Hinduism, quite often she has a tongue out with wild hair and a necklace of skulls and multiple arms wielding bloodied swords. You know, she is a destroyer, but she is also a protector as well. So it's almost all of these sort of have multiple uses to them in whichever civilization you're talking about, whichever religion you're talking about. It's only when you come up with a kind of one god, then you've got to start describing why there's bad stuff in the world. And the first one of those is neither Judaism nor Christianity, but is actually Zoroastrianism, which comes from modern day Iran. Now this predates Judaism by a few centuries. There's a huge debate about exactly what early Judaism was. Was it truly monotheistic, etc., etc.? It gets complicated. We are talking at the very edges of what is historically knowable, and I'm not going to go there, but certainly the first major religion that clearly set out a good versus bad is Zoroastrianism in Persia. Well, then Persia, nowadays Iran. And what was going on there is you got Ahura Mazda. And I know I've mentioned this deity before, but the point here is I was, when I first heard Zoroastrianism, it's like they worship fire. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous. It isn't when you understand what they're going for, because Ahura Mazda is the bringer of light, light against the darkness. And this idea of light versus dark has been around for a very, very long time. There is that famous quote from the 20th century, which is like, even the biggest darkness can be illuminated with just one candle. So this idea of like a small amount of good can counter an awful lot of bad out there. And this all starts with Ahura Mazda, where there is a place in modern day Iran where there's this temple to Zoroastrianism. Yes, the vast majority of Iran is Shiite Islam, but they're allowed to sort of like do their own thing. And this one temple claims to have had the same light of Ahura Mazda, the same flame burning for more than 2000 years. That's longer than Christianity has been around for the record. So that's an amazing thing to say, whether it actually has or hasn't gone out. I don't know. I haven't been there for 2000 years. But this idea of like this constant vigilance against the darkness, the chaotic forces out there, is at the very beginning of monotheistic faith. On every world, wherever people are, in the deepest part of the winter, at the exact midpoint, everybody stops and turns and hugs, as if to say, well done, 
Well done, everyone. We're halfway out of the dark. However, I want to do a deeper dive here. And to do this, I'm actually going to do this marvelous, marvelous book. I'm only going to do sort of like a, a few excerpts from early on in the book, but it's called, come on, how can you not buy a book called this? The Devil, A New Biography. Now, the book itself's actually been out for, I'm going to guess, seven, eight, nine years by Philip Olmond, as in the nut. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, hang on, I'm going to start here. We might even hear the rustling of paper. Here we go. And in chapter one, he actually starts with a Genesis chapter six, verses one to four. And I will read them out. This is the, well, I'm not going to read out an original Hebrew, but this is the original translation and not the later translation. Somebody's gone back to actually retranslate the King James Version because there are lots of assumptions in that. So here we go. Genesis 6, 1 to 4. When people began to multiply on the face of the ground, the daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that they were fair, and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh. Their day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them, these were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. Now, you might be sitting there going, I don't know anything about this. And at one point you might even say, hang on, I seem to remember something about there were giants. This is a throwaway line about giants. Yeah, you're right, because the Nephilim was translated to giants. And the important thing is, in this version of, this is one of the earliest versions of the book of Genesis, it's clearly saying that there are like these spirits, these sons of God, whoever they are, but there are these spirits created by God who are intermingling with human women and giving birth to basically demigods. That's what's going on here. Now, obviously the Lord isn't too happy about this because there's that line about my spirit shall not abide in mortals forever. They will, they are flesh and they'll, they'll basically live to 120. And this is the first time it says it after you've got people like Adam and some of the very early prophets sort of like live, living for allegedly like 900 years. And, you know, these people are ridiculously long aged. There's no indication. So why are people not living for 900 years? Because we've kind of all got a little bit of Nephilim in us, which sort of gives us a sell by date of about 120 years, which to be fair is, you know, roundabout. That'd be still considered a good innings even today in the 21st century. So I find that really interesting. But the point about this is that that particular excerpt gets evolved, in particular in something called the Book of Enoch. Now, if you really know your Bible, you're going, that's not something from the Bible. And you're right. The Book of Enoch, the only group of Jewish culture that accepts it as part of the original Jewish Bible are ones from Ethiopia. However, it is an ancient text, Hebrew text for the Jewish faith. It comes from about 300 BC. So it is a very old text. It's not as old as Genesis or something like that. And generally the view is by Christians and Jewish scholars today is it's like, well, this clearly has some truth in it, but it is not a specific revelation from God. It's not written by a prophet. And therefore it is a supplementary text rather than a definitive text, which is why it doesn't get to be in the Bible. And 
Within it, you've got the Book of Watchers. And what it's starting to do is take that story I just told you about the, the Nephilim and, and sort of like these people laying down with these spirits. Anyway, in a section of this, within the Book of Enoch, you've got an area called the Book of Watchers. And it goes, according to this, 200 watchers under the command of their chief, Shemihaza took wives for themselves from among the daughters of the sons of men and defiled themselves through them. They taught the women sorcery and charms and revealed to them the cutting of roots and plants. The women bore them giants who begat the Nephilim. So you can see this is where we're starting getting giants and Nephilim being confused. Unlike in Genesis, the giants here are ruthless. They devour the labor of men. They begin to kill and eat them and drink their blood and begin eating each other's flesh. So in other words, over the centuries, this sort of like throwaway line about what life was like after the killing of sort of like you know, after Cain slew Abel, but before Noah's Ark, it's now becoming more sinister. And you've actually got a named individual here, Shemehaza. And also you've got another named individual later on in the book of Enoch called Azael, who actually teaches humans how to do things like metallurgy and things like that. But the point is that metallurgy, and I mentioned this in, in another Warhammer one about lost technology, is that you've got this idea that metallurgy is sort of so powerful that it's almost magical. And it couldn't possibly have been invented by a human. It must therefore have been created by something like a, a devil or something like that, a demon. But then what you get really interesting is later on in another book, like the Book of Enoch, called the, the Jubilees, so it's sort of like on the edges of like religious writings. Again, it's in the BCs. It, it predates uh, the New Testament. You get the reference of Satan. Now, what's interesting is Satan is a common noun. It is not the name of an actual deity or demon. Basically, as it says here again from this book by Philip Holmond, the use of the term Satan describes a role rather than a particular being. It occurs nine times in the Hebrew Bible. On five occasions, it refers to human beings and denotes a role as an adversary or accuser. On four occasions, it refers to celestial beings. So what you've got here is a Satan is somebody who is an accuser, is a blocker, is an enemy, is a threat in this particular story. But it takes, again, another couple of centuries for you to finally get to Satan being the name of a ruling giant, sort of like semi-spirit, and it gets further evolved from there. You even get a reference to like the, the sort of Satan types function in the, the book of Job. The book of Job is obviously, if you remember this one, you might remember, you know, Job gets swallowed by a, a whale or a sea beast or something like that. The whole point of this is Job is incredibly religious. So there, there is this testing of Job by this other spirit referred to as a Satan, a Satan, not the Satan, with God saying basically, well, why don't you test his faith? It's very easy. You're giving him everything he wants. Of course, he's going to pray to you. Is he still going to pray to you, even if you're not getting your stuff? And that is absolutely a parable in the Bible to say to people, this is why bad things can happen to good people. You're not guaranteed to just have an easy life, even if you're going to follow the, the right faith. This is God testing your faith, which makes God sound a little bit petty, I'm going to say. I'm God. Let's just say that whatever I do, I do because I love you. But what's interesting is, as I mentioned, you know, I've already mentioned giants, 
I've mentioned witches and things like that. See, this is where, from things like the Book of Enoch, you get this idea that a witch is somehow in connection with the devil, actually is praying to an evil god. And I find that fascinating because nowadays we all associate witches with like the sort of Wiccan faith, sort of like paganism, yes, but communing with nature. Maybe in the past they sort of like created poultices or little herbal remedies to things. There's no indication that they would pray to a demon. But literally, and I know again, I've mentioned this in another podcast, when King James VI of Scotland, who became King James I of England, he wrote a book about witches and called it demonology. You know, there's no ambiguity whatsoever. If you're a witch, you're not like a misunderstood midwife. You are obviously communing with the devil. But what's interesting is that for a long time, for centuries, there isn't a devil. You have a god, and you have God interacting on planet Earth, and indeed there are multiple places in the Bible that specifically say that planet Earth, what we're on right now, is not ruled by God. It's ruled by the devil. This is why you're having such a terrible time. You get the good stuff after you die, because God's in charge of the afterlife. So for a long time in early religious texts, the one you all know is like Lucifer, which means light. It's sort of a positive name, but was basically God's favorite angel, but started asking too many questions, so was cast down and so on and so forth. That's actually very, very late. In general, there were these sort of like slightly ill-defined spirits that eventually over time where it's like, well, if you're not with us, you're against us, and now they're evil because they're obviously not part of God's plan. But it always leads to this problem like, well, if they are doing exact, if God can't control them, God's not all powerful. And if God can control them, why is he allowing them to rebel and do these other things? It creates a real theological head scratcher at that point. And I don't have an answer for that, but this is where you get these sort of like biblical scholars who have these really interesting debates about the extent of God's power and reach and knowing, which to your average sort of like Bible belter, you know, table thumping preacher. In, in the Bible Belt of America, they would consider these people not Christian enough. It's like, I know everything about, you know, Jesus and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, for starters, Jesus comes in in the New Testament. He's not mentioned at all in the Old Testament. And that's three quarters of your holy book. Maybe pay more attention to the, some of the early stuff. There are literally, there's been, you know, you'll catch these occasionally on Twitter where you'll get some somebody, again, from the South of America saying, you know, why are we translating the Bible into Spanish? We should keep it in God's own language. English. It's like, well, it, do you not realize it was never spoken in English originally? You know, the, what you're reading is the Old Testament is in Hebrew. And because that Hebrew evolved over the thousand years of the different books being compiled together, that Hebrew itself changes over that period of time, as any language would over a thousand years. Then you've also got Aramaic and Greek in there as well. Maybe a little bit of Latin too, right at the very end. It's a little, that's up for debate. But you've got multiple languages being being used over multiple centuries by multiple civilizations in multiple continents. So it gets really complicated and and sort of like out of this mess of misunderstanding and half remembered and additions, we get this evolution, the interesting word to use here, of this concept of this one true evil that nowadays kind of all Christians know about. But when you start digging at it, what we know, the icon of the devil today is not actually in the Bible anywhere. It is far more complicated than that, which I find interesting. 
So, there we go. We started with Warhammer, little plastic figures being pushed around. Now we've been talking about the history of the correlation of the Bible, including other religions as well, such as Zoroastrianism. Really hope you enjoyed that one. And the next time you start doing battle with demons on a table in Warhammer, remember that they could be giants in disguise. Thanks very much for listening. And as always, another episode coming out soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.